Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Ooh boy, there is a mess going on with one of Georgia's rivals, and that's a good place for us to start here today because I think it actually leads us into something pretty important to identify and recognize about Georgia based on some news that's kind of happening around the program in Athens here. So over the course of the next couple of minutes, that's what I want to do. And let me begin with this. There's a guy, named, I believe it's Justin Hokinson, I think that's how you say his name. He's a reporter for On3 Sports, and I believe he was the first to report last night what had been kind of swirling as a rumor for quite some time that Brian Harson, Auburn coach, uh, immediate future in question, the writer Hokinson says. Uh, he says, buckle up. You better believe that you will. Last night, social media very active about all of this. Message boards very active. I'm one of those guys that I like to lurk on a lot of message boards. And when one of Georgia's rivals or just really any SEC team has some big news going on, I kind of find myself gravitating towards that fan base. I just want to see what the reaction is. I told you for a while, and I said this a few days ago, that it's been kind of amazing how crazy the situation around Auburn has been and how much Auburn fans seem to be willing to ignore that for quite some time. They do have the number one ranked basketball team right now. They seem to be having a lot of fun with that, uh, clearly winning games and doing big things. And it's almost like the success of Bruce Pearl has given Brian Harson some cover through a disastrous offseason disastrous offseason and for a while it just sort of seemed like Auburn fans might be okay with that well as of late all of a sudden it doesn't quite seem like the powers to be those you know Auburn has a lot of well-known boosters big you know big money type guys who also have kind of a well-known name and it seems like there's some rumblings and grumblings with them that they're just getting a little tired of Brian Harson's act, even though Harson's act is barely a year old right now. Now, in addition to that, obviously, a lot of you have heard a lot of the crazy rumors that are out there. Now, who knows what's true and who knows what's not? Here's the thing. Like, I, like I'm a member of the coastal elite broadcast media. This is a this is the kind of show where I cannot give full voice to some of the things that are out there in relationship to Harson. But I will also tell you this. If you're curious what the juicy rumors are, it ain't that hard to find them. It'll take you about five seconds Googling to see everything you want to see, uh, Instagram profiles or whatever else. You can, you, can, you can find it all if you want to. We just can't get too deep into all of that. But when it comes to rumors, when it comes to some of the stuff related to the Harson situation, his own wife has actually stepped up in defense of him in, in, in relation to this, whether it be any number of things that are potentially rumored to be going on with Harson. Last night on Instagram, Harson's wife stepped to the plate to kind of offer what appears to be a defense of her husband. Let me show you this on the screen here. She writes that rumors are carried by haters, spread by fools, and accepted by idiots. That is, I guess, uh, Brian Harson's wife on Instagram. I saw that on Twitter. It been passed around a bunch there, but that's kind of out there. But let me say this, though, for a moment. For those who are kind of watching the Harson situation unfold, and for everybody who wants to have the juicy soap opera style story about what might be causing his potential out if he is truly on his way out, we don't know that for sure unless something happens while I'm in the air. But for everybody who wants to think that it's a juicy rumor that's potentially pushing him out the door, trust me when I tell you, I don't believe that's the case. I, I really don't. That that if, if Harson is done, it's not about anything I believe that happened behind closed doors. It's not about now they may use that as a way to or, or, or use something um, as a way, uh, you know, to 
to maybe save face for why they're moving on in a year or something like that who you know who knows how that plays out but if you really want to know why we are you know basically a year into the harson administration already talking about replacing him at auburn it's because of what we can see before our eyes and we've been saying this now for uh, for for a while for those of you who us do our sec through we've been talking to you over and over again about the mess at auburn when it comes to holding on to players in the program they've had about 25 guys transfer out holding on to assistant coaches they've already gone through five coordinators uh, he's about to hire a sixth coordinator this is it is it is a bizarre revolving door around all of this and you know a lot of attention is being paid to the austin davis situation now and in a moment i'm gonna let you hear greg mcelroy on that but we told you this with the Derek mason thing that that when mason the former defensive coordinator you know him as the former vanderbilt head coach when when he was leaving of his own choosing to go to oklahoma state that we said at the time this is not normal this is not the way that things work in the sec that's not a lateral move auburn alabama to stillwater oklahoma is not typically viewed as a lateral move that if you're doing that there must be some sort of division of personality there, there, there must be some sort of disagreement in place between mason and harson otherwise this would be a weird next step for uh mason to be taken from a professional standpoint and we were we said at the time you can go back and listen to the shows the recent days that we were surprised that the mason thing wasn't getting more attention well all of a sudden now you do start to hear a little bit more of that especially now that auburn has now lost another coordinator austin davis who was supposed to be the replacement for mike bobo at oc he is now gone as well a lot of also you're going to use that r word again a lot of rumors as to well how is it that a guy you just hired you know you know couldn't last for more than a couple of weeks like like how does all this go down well greg mcelroy who knows the state of alabama former bama player espn analyst also radio host in birmingham was on the Feinbaum show yesterday, and he addressed what he had been hearing about why Austin Davis didn't last as offensive coordinator. And as I said, listen to McElroy here, because ultimately, if if Harson loses his job, it's not going to be because of crazy soap opera rumor. It's going to be because of stuff like this, this McElroy from Feinbaum. Well, it's troubling. I mean, there's no denying that. Um, and I think the impression is that Brian Harson's losing control and, and all this other stuff. I don't think that's entirely fair. Uh, I think the Flames get fanned at Auburn a little faster than they should. Uh, and I think right now the narrative is a little inaccurate based on what I've gathered on the situation. Austin Davis uh, was unfit for the position based on some of the things he was doing and as a result uh, was going to be relieved of his duties if he didn't step down. Um, ultimately, Brian Harson made that hire. And that's uh, that's a you know a burden that he's going to have to deal with, and clearly that hire was a mistake. The good news is they found out now. They didn't find out in the middle of the season. They didn't find out, you know, in the middle of summer when it might be too late. There's still plenty of carousel movement going on right now, so you can still find an adequate replacement. And then of course with Derek Mason deciding to move on, uh, I think that was really more philosophical. Uh, I think Derek Mason felt like things should be done a certain way. I think Brian Harson wanted things done a certain way, and I think they just it was kind of like oil and water with you know, how they saw the team should be managed and, and how, the, how the players should be handled. So right there, I believe that McElroy is actually going too easy on Harson on all of this, that if you select a coach to be your offensive coordinator and he blows up as a total disaster for whatever reason it was, personal reasons, whatever else, that's still on you. you. You know, you made a bad hiring decision and 
all of a sudden it brings back to light the fact that you lost both your coordinators in year one. You fired an assistant coach during the season. Like all of this mess at his doorstep and the Austin Davis situation only serves to accentuate that even more. So right now, one of Georgia's rivals, biggest rivals, is facing a huge mess that they literally may be moving on from their coach after just one year on the job for an Auburn program that seems to always have something crazy going on. I don't know that it's ever been crazier than this. Now, at this point in the show, Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger, you'd be fair to ask, okay, well, B.A., that's interesting, and you know, it's always kind of nice for Georgia fan to see one of his rivals in turmoil, but what does all of this really have to do with UGA? And I think that's a very fair question. If my assumption is right here, and that, that Brian Harson has proven himself to be unworthy of the job at Auburn related to the way in which he's handled his personnel, the fact that, you know, could not control assistant coaches, uh, you know, could not make good hires, cycling through, uh, you know, cycling through coordinators over and, and over again. I think that draws a very sharp contrast to the very buttoned up and professional way that Kirby Smart is running his program. And some of the news that came out yesterday with Georgia is it looks like Georgia may have identified a new outside linebackers coach. We knew on the heels of Brian McClendon being hired as wide receivers coach that there was another assistant coaching hire for Georgia to make. And we weren't really sure who that was going to be. And on this show, many times we predicted that there was a very good chance that when the outside linebackers coach was hired, it would not necessarily be a famous guy because when Trey Scott was hired as defensive line coach, he wasn't very famous. And when Dan Lanning was hired as outside linebackers coach uh, and eventually becoming defensive coordinator, he wasn't very famous when he took this job either. You know, a lot of the guys that Georgia has added on its uh, coaching staff haven't, haven't always been exceptionally famous guys before getting to UGA. And we said at the time that when Georgia hires an outside linebackers coach, there's a chance that guy kind of fits into that same category a, a bit. And lo and behold, the name that was introduced or at least uh, brought to mind yesterday as maybe the guy, it seems like that's where all this is heading, to be outside linebackers coach at Georgia was a guy I'd never heard of at all. Let me show you this on the screen from uh, Matt Zenitz. Uh, Matt Zenitz covered college football for a long time. He's now uh, at on three after being at AL.com for a while. Was the first to report yesterday that it looks like Georgia's going to hire and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. I want to learn how to do it correctly. I don't know how to do it correctly today, but it's, uh, I believe it's Chadera Uzo. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Doribe. I, 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 I'm probably butchering that name, and I apologize. Eventually, we'll get that one correct. Uh, but he says it's going to be, uh, that's the guy uh, to become outside linebackers coach. He says one of the nation's top young front seven coaches, a former Colorado defensive lineman who had 20 career sacks. And he said before, to me, what this demonstrates is is what Georgia has done successfully over the years under Kirby Smart in a way other coaches actually sometimes demonstrate how difficult it really is. Kirby has made a thing look easy that other programs sometimes show you just how hard it really is. Brian Harson in one year on the job in the SEC is showing you that hiring coordinators that you can work with, hiring coordinators that can help facilitate your recruiting efforts, hiring coordinators that can even stick around on the job, is sometimes not all that easy for an unqualified person to be able to do. That Kirby Smart, even before he won the national championship, was actually demonstrating his qualifications as a coach by by how well he was identifying you know assistance for this program. And sometimes he was bringing in big name proven commodities. Folks already knew Sam Pittman was a very good offensive line coach. There was plenty of reasons to believe that uh, Del McGee was a very good running backs coach. And you know you had some some you know truly. Uh, you know well credentialed famous assistant coach that have come in 
over the years, but that's not what all the hires have been. And listen, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat this and say every assistant coaching hire that Smart has made has been a grand slam home run for a number of reasons. A few have them, uh, a few of them haven't been, but he's made a lot of assistant coaching hires, and a lot of them have worked out exceptionally well. And many of the assistants on this staff now, who are the very best at their job, were guys that had nothing on their resume to predict they would eventually be that before Smart hired them. He truly seemed to be very good at identifying what eventually became a bit of a diamond in the rough and and so maybe this new coaching hire if it goes down will eventually be that same kind of thing there as well and if you're curious um for the uh uh you know for, for the resume here one of the things that jumped out to me that i thought was really interesting and we'll obviously get more into this in the days ahead once it becomes official and 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 everything related to that is that uh you know uh diary bait was a 30 under 30 from 24-7 sports back in 2020. Every year they do this. They rank the 30 names in college football. They're not all on-field coaches. In some cases, they're analysts or recruit staffers or things like that. But the top 30 names to know under the age of 30 around college football in 2020, uh, Darry Bay made this list. And what was interesting is, and to me, you, you read a lot into this because when there's not a huge resume to kind of figure out, sometimes you don't really quite know what means what. But I noticed after one year on analyst support staff type role at Kansas, uh, this coach was identified automatically as an on-field job with Les Miles after that. Now, you can say what you want about Les Miles. People will. You can say what you want about Kansas. People will do that, too. But we see these analysts a lot of times going many years before they're truly allowed to move into an on-field coaching role even a place like kansas you only got 10 of those jobs and at the power five level there just aren't tons of on-field coaching roles these are very coveted positions but this uh uh, young coach did not have to wait very long to step into an on-field coaching role apparently been identified as a rising star for quite some time a pretty good piece 24 7 sports a couple of years ago kind of pointing that out and the work that's happened you know since then seems to kind kind of validate that there as well it's just one of those things that Kirby Smart's pretty good at, that the machine for Georgia has been running pretty efficiently well before this program won the national championship. Identifying assistant coaches sometimes that have the big fold-out resumes that make you feel like, yeah, kind of a sure thing. This coach is likely to be successful. But in other cases, it's identifying guys who are young, who are hungry for an opportunity, and were just looking for the chance to prove how good they could be. That's what Trey Scott turned out to be. Glenn Schumann wasn't a coach at all when he was brought over to Georgia to be an on-field guy. Dan Lanning, when he came over to UG was also not a very famous name but they all worked out really well and now maybe a new outside linebackers coach who has a chance to kind of travel that same path looking at Kirby Smart's previous track record pretty safe bet to assume that there could be some more success on the way for what sounds like a uh, brand new assistant coach my name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Kroger. Thanks for being with us no matter how you get to us today. Glad to uh, have you with us. Of course, we're on 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Good to have you for uh, all of that. Jeff Sintel coming up. We'll do some UJ recruiting with him here in just a little bit. Let me remind you, though, as I said before, we're brought to you today by Kroger. And now that National Signing Day is done here in the month of February, we turn our attention to the next big date in this month. And that one's got nothing to do with football, at least for the most part. We're talking about Valentine's Day. And as you're getting ready for Kroger and Valentine's Day, 
I want you to think about all the big savings you have an opportunity to get there, whether it be buy two, get one free when it comes to Hershey's candy or savings for on wine. Always nice to have a nice bottle of wine to go with your Valentine celebration. You get some great savings on that there at Kroger. Uh, sweet treats, bakery section, so many great things going on. So check it out. Kroger.com slash Valentine's for more on that. Kroger.com slash Valentine's. They'll give you a lot more on that. As I said before, we'll get Jeff's Intel here coming up in a moment. Before that, I want to shift gears here and do something completely different. Uh, we'll get more into the recruiting stuff and more into to all that with Jeff Sintel. I actually got some more thoughts on the Auburn situation too before we're done with the show. But let me kind of let me kind of move in a different direction here for a brief version of Around the Doghouse. There was something that Kirby Smart said when he gave his press conference on Wednesday post National Signing Day that really stuck out to me. And obviously, we played the audio for yesterday of Smart's open acknowledgement that uh that that nil is playing a big tangible impact in recruiting right now he you know made that very clear we talked about that yesterday and in a similar vein when smart was asked what about your own national championship what about the fact that you're the reigning national champion in college football how much of an impact is that making in recruiting right now And it was interesting to hear now maybe this is just coach speak and maybe smart's just kind of playing the vince dooley card of poor mouthing himself or you know whatever else but interesting to hear Smart articulate that, at least in terms of the current environment of of recruiting, maybe a national championship means a little less than it used to when it comes to the eyes of these recruits. I thought this was a very interesting statement from Smart. I want to let you hear it, then I got a couple thoughts about it. Take a listen. Have I seen a major impact in the, the win or the national championship? I don't know that you can you know, make that tangible. I don't know that you can kind of see that or feel that. Uh, Certainly, uh, the time we had spent on the road, there was a lot of, um, you know, congratulations, pats on the back, all those things in terms of recruiting. I think it gets you in the conversation with maybe more national kids. Um, we were already in the conversation with most national kids and certainly with in-state kids. So um, it, it may validate some the things you work towards, but I don't think it's going to close the deal for, for these kids. I, I really don't think winning the national championship like moves the needle in terms of one kid's decision or the other. Uh, it just might get you in the conversation. Um, kids today are, are obviously worried about, you know, other things outside of just winning a national championship. Ten years ago, it was probably a bigger deal than it is today where they put their, uh, they put their weight in other categories. I think that's a very interesting quote from Kirby Smart. And I said before, maybe this is just Smart trying to <laughs> – described by the deck is stacked against Georgia even as the national champion maybe there's some like traditional coach speak involved in all of that but if you take him at face value value isn't that a little bit alarming I mean <laughs> I mean I don't mind telling you and maybe I'm just an old school guy maybe I'm just too old-fashioned to me a pretty good litmus test for the kinds of players as a fan I want at Georgia are you impressed with a national championship? And if you ain't, then you're probably better off going somewhere else. I, I just I just think you probably are. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful and gosh knows you gotta have the elite talent. And you know, I'm not saying that, you know, oh, uh, you know, team success is the only thing these kind of guys care about. But if you see that national tro- national championship trophy, and if that player's thoughts aren't, boy, I'd love to have one of those. I'd love to have my fingerprints on that trophy. I'd love to have, you know, my chance to earn that. If that's not interesting to you, then maybe you shouldn't be interesting to Georgia. I, I do truly feel that way. And then beyond that, here's what I'll say. For those of you that follow like the sports world beyond college football, one of the things you've probably heard over the last few years, like there have been a number of, you know, newspaper columns written about this, TV topics related to this. Like in the NBA, 
how the NBA offseason to a lot of folks has almost become more interesting than the NBA in season. The NBA television ratings are terrible. And yet, you know, the the conversation around the league during the offseason is always pretty intense. Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless, whoever else screaming on TV about what so-and-so free agent is going to do and which super team is going to be formed. All of this probably started with LeBron James' first decision, taking his talents to South Beach. That may have been where a lot of this started, but it's been really big in a lot of ways since then. And I don't mind telling you, that's not what I want college football to be. Now, I say this as someone who loves the offseason college football conversation. I, I, I do. I love the offseason conversation. One of the reasons why our show has been so successful is because many years ago, we identified that there was an intense, interesting conversation that could occur during the offseason. The college football content didn't just have to exist September, October, November, December, that it could be all you know 12 months because there was always something going on. We identified that then, and it's worked out really well. But while I love the offseason conversation and while I enjoy being a part of it, I don't want to see the NBAification of college football where all of a sudden what happens in the offseason is more interesting to the average fan than what happens during the season. That's not what I want to see happen here. And it almost seems like around this National Signing Day topic, that's a little bit of what's going on where it's like, okay, well, Georgia won the national championship, but man, Texas A&M's got the buzz. I don't care about buzz. You can't put buzz in a bottle and sell it. You know, you can't, you know, you can't measure that. It doesn't show up on the elemental chart. Like, like it's not a real thing. Same thing for Alabama there as well. And eventually we'll probably get into some of the stuff that Nick Saban said about Jermaine Burton and all, all the excitement of Alabama and the transfer portal. They got the buzz. Where's Georgia's buzz? Georgia's got the trophy. That's the only buzz it needs right now. And um, as I said before, you know, I get the fact this has kind of been going on in sports for a while where like NBA, everybody's interested in free agency and who's forming super teams, who's going to play with each other. And maybe in a league like that, the offseason conversation has overtaken the in-season product. But if that's the direction that college football is moving, boy, that's a real problem for the sport, I believe. That is Around the Doghouse. Obviously, we'll have plenty more to say about this in the weeks and days to come. But for now, we'll keep the uh, recruiting conversation going on with uh, Jeff Sintel. Great chance to hear from him about all of the uh, all of the big information related to who signed with George on Wednesday, who didn't sign with George, maybe, but certainly what is still to come with five-star defense. I'm in Levy's Overton after he reclassified earlier this week. Let's cover all of that ground with him today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Glad to have all of you with us. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, we're on the road. This is about AAA with uh, Jeff Sintel here today. And Jeff, we will kind of dive into this. Obviously, a lot of attention being paid to, to everything you know going on right now with you know, the emergence of Texas A&M, number one recruiting class, the head-to-head battle that could be going on with uh, the Dogs and the Aggies over uh, LT Overton, top 2023 recruit, now reclassified to 2022. So we'll kind of cover all that ground with you right now. So let me just start with Overton. Give me some general thoughts on his reclassification, and then there are a couple of specific points I want to hit with you beyond that. Let's begin right there, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I would say, uh, I guess it's the cat out of the bag a little bit. I would say that this has been a story that, you know, I wouldn't call it non-news, but it, it's been one of the longer, I mean, I don't know. I started hearing these things early junior year about the possibility that LT was going to reclassify. And, and I think, you know, first of all, he, 
I, I thought it was interesting how he already got a reclassification from on three sports as the number 31 overall player in the country for 2022. Um, now he's a terrific player. He's a, he, he plays basketball. He is a high functioning intellectual, very smart young man. I don't think the coursework or the adjustment will be a problem. But the thing that I do find very curious about this is, uh, I mean, and I think you set it up very nicely that it seems like Georgia and Texas A&M have always been the teams to watch there for Overton, even going back into the junior year. Um, that's what, the things you heard. That's the things you paid attention to from certain sources. But if you look at what Texas A&M did and you look at what Georgia did, you could probably make the argument that they both probably had the greatest defensive line haul in their program's recent or maybe totalitary history as far as modern recruiting rankings go and things of that nature. Uh, so you have two places that are overstocked right now with quality defensive linemen. Of course, the counter-argument there is this is the SEC, folks. The difference in the league is the defensive linemen. The quality of athletes, the size of the young men. Uh, see Devontae Wyatt at the Senior Bowl this, this past week. That's the difference. That's the standard bearer for the conference. But then you have Overton, who, who's really not going to be, I guess I would say, a plus-plus player in any one scouting area, except maybe his technique and the way he can redirect and he can he can uh, strike a strike a block, shed the block, either find the gap, find the football, or redirect out to the boundary. Those are the things that he's really great at. And, but if you look at him, him moving up a year, you know, the concern I would, I would say for those that would, that would think Overton's going to come in and re- immediately make waves in the classes of either school, should he choose either school, is, you know, Overton's not going to be the biggest young man. I had a, you know, when, when these, when these rumors were really flaring up this week, I, I got a chance to spend a lot of time with Christian Miller. I think Christian Miller is probably 25 to 30 pounds heavier than uh than lt overton and he is also almost two inches taller than lt overton the bodies are different overton's more like a sleek uh almost like an oversized power forward a little bit uh playing the defensive line a really good one at that but you know talk about a young man that's built for that grown man league inside the trenches that's probably the biggest thing about lt overton's move i don't see him making a move should it be to georgia or should it be to Texas A&M where he's going to move aside guys like Bear Alexander or Michael Williams or Christian Miller or Sean Washington, or then you've got a plethora of those guys at Texas A&M, the Walter Nolans of the world, uh, lots of guys that that just look different. Really, Brandon, it's the difference between a guy that's, that, that the guys that, that is a class of 2023 prospect and what the bodies look like versus a class of 22. 2022 prospect you know it's a cliche in recruiting to say respect my decision every recruit for the most part says that when they make announcements and I guess we all have to acknowledge that these kinds of things are the recruits decision to make in this case Overton but I don't mind telling you just doesn't seem like a very good idea to me we talked about Terrence Edwards with Terrence Edwards yesterday about forget the football impact of this but you know trading your senior year of high school not just on the field chance to win a state championship something like that but but the chance to just be with friends, go to prom, do things that that you know eighteen year olds in high school get a chance to do. And I do realize a lot of these football players are early enrollees now, so they don't go to prom anyway. I, I understand that, but still, you know, there's just no uh, substitute for for getting a chance to be a kid while you still can be a kid. And then beyond that, for the football challenges of trying to trying to go to either a Georgia or Texas A&M, where the level of depth of the defensive line position is remarkable, and you laid it out right there. 
I don't mind telling you, I'll respect his decision. It's his to make, but I don't think this is a good idea. Well, and I guess I'll kind of speak for the defense here a little bit, or I'm just going to speak for the Overton fat thing. I thought the family laid it out really well about how, why he was making the decision. They were tired of him getting doubled and tripled. And this was even in Georgia's 7A, Class 7A football. And Overton folks, when he was a sophomore, was brilliant. He was healthy. Uh, I think he had 21 and a half sacks playing in Georgia's Class 7A. He looked like he could have been a, a four-star, five-star tight end if he wanted to when you saw him work in practice on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and But then he, he suffered a pretty bad injury where he played most of his junior year at like 65 to 70%. So that was an an injury scare for his future and maybe the family's like, you know, another injury happens in this in the balance of the season where he's getting pounded on a lot. Everybody's devoting game plans and protections and chipping the back to his side. Uh, they laid it out that they'd rather go to a place where he's not going to be in a league where he gets doubled and tripled anytime. And that and also given the medical scare he had a year ago that he would have really the very best care and bouncing back from a you know, a foot injury, you know, movement is going to be the really big thing for Overton's game right now. Movement, especially not so much power yet. I think he's probably, you wanted to list him probably six, three and set maybe seven, eight, not quite six, four, probably about 265, 270. Now he looks like an athlete. Uh, but you know, you start putting him next to the body. That was the really big thing for me for doing this a lot of years. We finally got to see. Overton and a lot of the 2022 class at the Under Armour uh, Regional back in March. This was at Denmark uh, High School up in your part of the world, Brandon. But like you, you looked around, you looked around and saw the bodies, and you're like, because Overton was in the lead pack group since he was so highly rated. But you saw him next to even a, a CJ Madden. You saw him next to a Walter Nolan. You saw him next to a Mikael Williams, and you know he looked. He did not look like the alpha in that group. And, again, I come back to uh, it's the difference of putting a, a high-tier, top-tier 2023 into the room with a bunch of high-tier, top-tier 2022s. Just the body development, the aging there. And, uh, you know, I, I heard about that Terrence's point that he made on your, on your program the other day. Uh, you know, the prom thing, I guess, is a little overrated because the young men do come back and go to prom. Some of them go to multiple proms. Some of them bring their college girlfriend to their prom now. So, I mean, there, there's, 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 a, I get the whole high school experience part, but it seems to me like this is a family decision where they thought LT could handle the work. They thought he could classify early. Milton's actually going through a coaching change right now as it is. They'll have a new first year coach as well. So it seems to me like a lot of things lined up for LT to go ahead and make that move. And we'll certainly respect that decision, but wherever he chooses, I thought it was interesting that Alabama wasn't a contender for him yeah. because his father, his father was an athletic administrator at both Alabama and Texas A&M. And, and really, when before he moved to Milton, he was at Bessemer Academy. That's a big private school power in uh, the Birmingham metro area a little bit. They win a lot of state championships. And uh, he spent a lot of time around Tuscaloosa growing up. A lot of the best relationships that, um, that he had at Georgia – his first really great relationship he had at Georgia was, was, was with Scott Cochran because he was around the program so much when his father was an administrator out of Alabama. So certainly he's got top, he's got five schools. He's going to make his decision sometime in April. He's going to take his official visits before he makes his decision. And that'll be one to watch, but I don't think it's one that, you know, just speaking very honestly uh, to everyone out there, 
it's not an instant impact guy in my mind should he choose to go to Georgia or should he choose to go to Texas a But it is a bellwether recruitment in terms of the current landscape of the sport. And I want to do one more thing on the Overton thing that I want to get more heavily into the NIL stuff is that for a lot of people, they're going to view A&M's presence in the state on Overton as another example of their prowess when it comes to, I guess, cash opportunities for players. That's the way this will be spun. But you brought up an important point that – I think we do need to understand, which is that there was a tie for the Overton family to A and M that kind of predates, you know, whatever might be going on with uh, sliced bread and 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 pro Bible and and everything else. I mean, is is that true here that the connection to A and M for Overton and his family extends beyond any NIL rumor? Is that fair to say? Yeah, it does, and there's a familiarity there. But you know, for me, I think it's just. I think you use the word early in your show today, it's just buzz, Brandon. It, it, Overton was around uh, for the among those marquee priority visitors in College Station all over the last six to eight months. So when the doors opened up in June, he checked out Texas A&M along with all the – every gun they had firing on visits for all the big names they were bringing in. And he got to see a lot of the, 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 the charming reasons why a lot of these five stars chose Texas A&M in the 2022 cycle. They want to be – a contender at the table when it comes to recruiting. I still think it is unique how they've built their team this year around certain parts. You would think if they're really wanting to build a championship roster that a lot of the, a lot of the defensive backs, a lot of the linebackers, a lot of the offensive linemen, a lot of the running backs, those guys could potentially come with the 2023 class. I know they're chasing really hard after Reuben Owens, uh, the brilliant five-star back out of Texas in the 2023 cycle who just visited Georgia. Uh, this past weekend. So uh, they're going to have to build a team and they're going at a championship level. It seems like they're top heavy at a lot of positions right now. And uh, again, I, I tell you what it does, Brandon, it creates a, a firestorm for Texas A&M. If all these, if all this juice, if all this electricity around Texas A&M does not pan out early. I know a lot of folks I talk to, they sit there and wonder what happens if A&M drops another nine and three and 10 and four on the world. Uh, in 2022 during the balance of that season, still playing in the FCC West with a lot of really tough teams. And and I think the antithesis of this, and I think Kirby Smart did a very good job this week um, while they're holding the trophy, he did a very good job this week of stressing culture in his program, culture among the recruits. And he wanted a balance. I think he even verbalized it where he he had maybe some team guys built in and woven into the class that are going to kind of balance out the noise or maybe silence the noise or the fires that, you know, when guys start to flare up, they're going to be a lot of team guys that a lot of guys off state champions. I think that's one of the things we pointed out in Hedges this week, Brandon, that almost every guy Georgia signed, well, I'll, I'll just say it flatly. Every guy Georgia signed this week was in the semifinals of their state championships in 2021. And four of those five guys won state championships. Those are the culture guys that are also really very strongly talented and good enough to play at Georgia. But you got you see Georgia, even with the coaching hires, Brandon, you see a Bobo coming in. You see a McClendon coming in. These are Georgia guys that know the program, that know what that power G means on the helmet and what it means to the state. And all of a sudden, in an area where you've got a lot of Wild West, you've got a lot of mercenaries rolling in down OK Corral like their, like their Doc Holiday. you got a lot of mercenaries rolling in. It seems Georgia is trying to build cult, culture and core, 
now around that championship trophy. All right, I want to get into the NIL stuff here for a little bit. And, and I've said over the last couple of days, I think everybody's lying. I think Jimbo Fisher with his famous rant this week, I think he is to a degree lying. But I also think Nick Saban's lying as well when he cries poor about his program. And I certainly think Lane Kiffin's lying when he says that you know other schools have no chance at recruiting because of how much he alleges that A&M is throwing around out there. I think that clearly cash payments are a part of what's going on here. It seems impossible to believe that to some degree they aren't. But I think everyone's exaggerating. Everyone's lying. And I think identifying what the actual facts are here are going to be pretty important over the course of the next year figuring out what truly is happening i think is going to be important but right now jeff i don't know who to believe and my suspicion is to kind of believe no one what do you think is truly going on and what specific impact do you think name image likeness revenue the the promise of those kinds of payments what kind of impact did that have in recruiting this year including a&m putting together the number one class of all time yeah the, the stats kind of point out how a&m recruited before the nil rules kind of opened up and then this new era began and they went from uh, pretty good, maybe third or fourth best in the SEC to, you know, the all-time greatest class. And I think the thing I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to everybody here about this first from a journalist perspective because everyone is seeking transparency. Everybody's trying to, you know, figure out what's really going on. There's a lot of rhetoric. There's a lot of innuendo. We reference Bro Bible and really an unnamed author that's putting a lot of information out. Um, no, he's not unnamed. You know, it's yeah. it's sliced bread. Uh, he's not unnamed. It's like like he's got a name. Then <laughs> his name is actually the best part of it. it it's sliced bread. Like that's the, that's actually probably the best part of the whole thing. So so kids, when you're sitting in, in school next next week and you 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 ask your you ask your family member like, hey, who's, who's that kid sitting next to you? And it's Joey sliced bread. Sure, you should ask him what what his dad if he has any inside juice on the A and M situation. But but in all seriousness, Brandon, you know if, if it was. Um, you know, transparency is really the problem here because these are private businesses engaging in these details. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't really like the fact that all these schools have and these coaches can sit up on a pillar and cry. Uh, they don't know anything. They have plausible deniability. It's not going on. Nothing that they're aware of. Well, they don't really have to be made aware of it. I mean, there's a, there's a clearinghouse that these guys have to go through, through NIL deals. And there's things that um, I'll share an example. When, when some people have told me what it's like already navigating the NIL process with a, with an SEC school, it's really like, okay, are you using any of our logos? You can't use any of our logos. you got to maintain intellectual property. And, and really, those are about it. Those are the only guidelines where they get rubber stamped and permission to do what they're trying to do in the, in the private sector. And the other thing is you, you can't put a public information request on a company to find out how much they – their potentially their marketing agreement is with this, you know, defensive lineman. And a lot of people say that these NIL situations are not are, are not actually tethered to a school. They're tethered to a business. They're tethered to a market where, you know, it's going to be crazy if you've got a young man that's going to play football for, for Alabama, uh, you know, tethered to, you know, getting an NIL deal in his region where there's not a lot of stuff going on in Iowa if you're playing at Alabama. But the, the things here that make this so difficult to, to kind of weave through is, you know, these young men can kind of make these decisions. And, and I, I've heard a lot of players tell me this. And a lot of the families that I think are getting this right, Brandon, that, that they're taking a look at it. They're wanting to know what's going on. Everybody has told me this since the 
probably the precipice of NIL is when they said, you know, it feels really awkward for us to go chase a couple of $100,000 here and make that the school when we put at risk the, the $25 million contract that is at the end of this three or four years. That's what's really the, the pendulum or the teeter-totter or whatever they're trying to figure out, the balance beam, is why would we go chase three hundred grand and get this type of money or some sort of six-figure endorsement from this school uh, when the other school is the one that's most likely going to get us a five-year deal for $30 million among the first 10 picks of the first round? I think a lot of people understand the economics of all this um, when, you're, when they're trying to figure out NIL. You know, a perfect example, Christian Miller was like, he said, I'm marketable. I don't, I don't need a school to frame up their pitch to me around NIL because I know NIL will kind of follow me wherever I go. And I think he's exactly right on that. But he's trying to put the football, the development, the path ahead of any, any, any kind of quick, quick twitch, short-term earnings here. So let me just do a couple of rapid-fire style questions for a moment. Most of the state laws, my understanding, uh, that are existing around NIL are kind of written with the idea that the payments are supposed to be for marketing service. In other words, that it's not, at least based on the ways the laws were written, supposed to be a pay-for-play situation. It was supposed to be a true name, image, likeness, that you'd be an endorser for a, a product or a service or a company, something like that. Jeff, it seems like one way or another, that's what we're moving away from, that some of the states, for instance, Florida, uh, you know, wrote their law with that in mind. My understanding is they may now be trying to change that law to open the door for more straight pay for play, that it doesn't have to be connected to just a marketing idea that even though the current laws in the states that have laws are kind of written with that in mind, that that actually may be what the sport's trending away from and that people do want the opportunity just to give cash for coming to the school is that the sense that you get that that the laws that are written actually don't properly reflect the 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 mood that exists on the ground yeah and so that's the whole the way the thing is designed there, there are i guess i would say loopholes or trap holes in a lot of this because you know like for instance let's say uh ba's construction company that makes backhoes uh they get the next great offensive lineman at georgia to to endorse their backhoes because the young the young man that the young man that's endorsing this product is a five star offensive lineman. He looks like a titan of Olympus on the field. But so what happens if uh, that freshman doesn't play for two years? How how worthy is that investment right there? Because really, if you're marketing something and you're not on the field where you're supposed to, that's where you're maximizing your earning potential, your brand, your endorsement. Then it's kind of really a hollow endorsement for BA's construction company that makes the best backhoes and. Northeast, Northeast Georgia. So it becomes really like you, you hear and read. I don't know, Brandon, if it was under the, the worthy sliced bread byline or not, but, uh, that like some of these companies are being set up in Texas are really just funds where they're like nonprofits where there, there's really nothing that's being really sold or there's nothing really that needs to be marketed to the point where you need to turn a profit in this endorsement. Um, and this endorsement is necessary to further someone's business as a viable marketing strategy that they would do to 
enhance their bottom line regardless of how well the young man plays football but if that's the case they're you're going to have based on my understanding and i'm an idiot but based on my understanding if that's the case they're either going to have to change the law or lie about it because um i mean there's a reason why jimbo fisher's tone now is so different than it was back in december when he was strutting around talking about all the all the things they were going to do Deion sanders the same way jeff go back to last summer Deion sanders was like we're going to make sure all of our players are getting paid we're going to do all this well when travis hunter uh went to jackson state you know he's on barstool saying no we didn't have an nil deal for him we don't have any money to give anybody else i think that a lot of these coaches on advice of legal counsel have changed their tune because of the way that laws are written whether it be the state of georgia where travis hunter lived or the state of texas where texas a&m is located i think a lot of lawyers have told these coaches to shut up that's my that's my opinion anyway yeah, it, it, to me, I, I think I don't think a lot of people really know, and a lot of people are trying to find how they how they get around this and try to have. It, I mean, the only thing that I see happening is there's there needs to be some true oversight coming, whether it's at the government level. I don't think it will happen at the legislative level from the uh, from the NCA and their offices in Indiana. But uh, there's something that needs to happen because they're like you know you make the example everybody says you know well the rules will change when, when Nick Saban really starts crying poor about something. And, you know, this is really affecting, you know, and it seems like, you know, a lot of people start pointing fingers across the conference where the, the schools that are maybe ringing the bell as much about the, the transfer portal as anyone else, or the ones benefiting from the transfer portal as much as anyone else. Um, and the inducements that come along right now to, to come in and play, I, I think recruiting, and I don't know if, if I've heard this in a lot of places, I think I've heard this in a lot of places. I know I heard it a lot during the Under Armour All-American Week and the All-American Week when I was listening to some of the information that the recruits were kind of being shared shared with recruits about NIL. And and really, and and I don't know how far away we are from this, Brandon, but really recruiting uh, might not be about getting them on campus anymore. Like that might be the first date. You, the real true recruiting now would be keeping those guys on your roster for two or three, four years to make sure that they shake Roger Goodell's hand as a first round pick. And then your school can champion all that stuff with edits and propaganda, uh, wearing your colors. I mean, that, that's really going to be the, the really interesting wrinkle in recruiting now. I think even Kirby Smart said this week that nobody really asked about academics anymore. I talked to a recruit that was a little. I thought a, I talked to a recruit that really kind of felt that it was that went through that official visit process and it was heavily geared towards NIL and not so much as the other things that they kind of felt like it was an efficient drive-through service where nobody really needed to see the science museum or nobody needed to see the chemistry lab or meet with the dean of the engineering department or they the whole part about college and that forty-year decision it's kind of getting pushed off to the side because everybody's got this big, shiny, new Fabergé egg of NIL that everybody feels like they have to keep up with the Jones about. All right, last thing on this. Let me give you a statement. I want you to tell me if you believe it's true or false or not. Let's say that I'm a head coach of a big state U, and let's say that I haven't fully embraced name, image, likeness, culture because I'm not quite so sure I want that many cooks in my kitchen. In other words, I'm not quite so sure I want – you know, the guys who are paying for the players to have say over how those players get used. I want to keep my own control over my own program. And I don't want big shot booster, you know, throw, throwing his weight around too much. If I'm one of those coaches somewhere that might exist, that's not fully embracing all of this to the extreme level as of yet. 
I believe that NIL rumors are a bigger problem for a coach like that than actual NIL payments. The exaggerated claims of so-and-so getting this kind of money, whatever else, is a bigger problem right now than the actual money the players are getting. True or false, Jeff? I think I'm going to say true on that one. Okay. I mean, because there's a lot of stuff out there and there's a lot of schools that are, are kind of behind on all this. Let me give you a good example. And I guess I would probably hedge my bet or asterisk my true a little bit. But let, let's look at it this way. And I, I think there's a lot of schools that even re, schools that recruit very well that are struggling with this point right here. You know how the old nomenclature was, Brandon, that whole, that whole line is we don't promise starting positions to anyone. You know, you come in, let the practice field sort it out. If you're the best guy, we think you have the tools to take the job. But if you come down and if you come to our program and, and you put your thing down, which means play your best football, you're going to earn a starting position or you're going to earn a lot of time. You know, they, that's really all they would ever say. Nobody ever wants to say, especially at a program that recruits among the top five in the country, no one ever wants to promise, hey, you'll come in and play right away. But it looks like you've got a little shell game here where, okay, this kid is not being promised a starting position, but big, jo- big Joe Bob Booster is promising NIL deals, and it's a multi-year NIL deal. And, okay, so what is that sort of conversation back and forth between uh, a booster that cares about the university and really supports the university when that is a failed investment or when that young man is not on the field or that young man just belly flops? I'm going to say it's probably going to put an awkward position at, at some of those booster functions when they're like, okay, what's going on here with this guy who hasn't played in two years? Um, it, it, it really becomes an awkward spot about all these players coming in. And, you know, the, the only pressure used to be was, hey, five-stars got to play early because we got to show that we play five-stars and they get into our program and they can get reps and get on the field. I think there's a whole different level of pressure here. Even on the family side, even on the, 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 the company side, the private business side, not just the SEC school or the ACC school, the Big Ten school when it comes to all this. Well, let me just get very, very specific for a moment. I said it was going to be the last question, but this will be the last question. Let me just get very specific for a moment. Do you believe that there is a 2022 recruit that has a six-figure sum of cash in his hand because of where he signed right now? Ooh. Now, listen to the way I'm phrasing that. Six-figure sum of cash currently in hand, in his account currently in possession of that money because of who he signed with as a part of the 2022 class i I, so when you drop the word currently in there i would say probably not i don't know if it's happening that fast yeah and 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 i think that's what a lot of this kind of comes down to um is that you know we hear all these huge sums of money thrown around and i I blame nick saban for this he was the first guy dropping the oh our quarterback's got seven figures and whatever else I just think a lot of this goes unverified, and a lot of people assume that everybody that signed with Texas A&M did so for $250,000 or or something like that, but I'm inclined to believe that you're correct, and we're just obviously talking here. I mean, you have more inside inside information on this than I do, but if I had to to make my bet, my bet would be there isn't a current 2022 signee that has received a six-figure payment for where he signed. If I had to bet, that's the bet that I'm making, Jeff. Uh, so here's a pushback question that kind of gets to the core of what mm-hmm. I'm thinking on this, Brandon. Um, the innuendo, the uh, it's the illusion of NIL money and these big bags of cash that is happening right now 
as we speak on the ground in college football recruiting right now. Do you think that is more dangerous, tantalizing, or deadly than what has always gone on in the background in the past where there was the innuendo about collection plates or big duffel bags full of cash or McDonald's bags full of cash or whatever? Do you think what's happening now with NIL is even more dangerous or is it kind of just the same as it has always been about what's happening behind the scenes that no one really knows about? So I'm not saying that improper benefits have ever occurred, but if they had, I think it's easier to manage that culture than it is to manage this culture. That's a fair answer. Yeah, I I, I, I do. I think that there's a level of brazenness to what might be going on now. To be honest with you, as I said before, I'm not willing to stipulate that improper payments have ever occurred across college football, but if they did – to me, that system sort of makes some sense. It's sort of like the guy who puts the paper bag around the uh, you know liquor bottle when he's standing outside, and like nobody really wants to care all that much about that. Um, there, there's a certain part of the you know under the table culture that probably makes some sense. It's under the table because it's just more convenient to keep it that way. Um, if that's ever occurred to me, that's a kind of a sensible system. Whereas when you're deputizing, you know, blah 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 booster to I mean, the analogy that I used yesterday, Jeff, was remember the old Bill Parcells line of, you know, he wanted to be GM of the team and he's or at least he wanted to make personnel decisions. And he was saying, if I'm going to have to cook the meal, then I want to shop for the groceries. Well, the new version of that is, hey, if I'm paying for the ingredients, I ought to get some say in how those ingredients are used on the football field. And that's where I think if you're a coach, you got to be really careful about who you let into the program, you know, who you take on as a business partner, because honestly, if you are going to have a bought and paid for team then the guy that bought and paid for those players is kind of your boss. And boy, a lot of these coaches, you better be careful who you turn into a boss or who you turn into a partner because once you get into those relationships, it's hard to get out of them. Yeah, it's quite it's quite like that. I remember having a conversation with a fellow when the NIL stuff was really starting to hit the precipice. And everybody just kind of wondered about, you know, if this stuff really goes on, then why is this better when you have to start putting, you know, tax documents and 1099s or independent contractors or some sort of, you know, wage statement behind all of it. I mean, that's one of the things that was the early, kind of the early frontiers of NIL about if, 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 if there was stuff going on in the background, if that stuff has always happened historically through college football, then how is this supposed to clean things up and make it all above board? And, and I don't know what, the, you know, the frustrating fallacy for all this for me, Brandon, is this was supposed to make things easier for the players. Yeah, It was supposed – and I never really believed – and I've got a huge pushback on this one. I never really believed that a lot of these college students were starving. They didn't have $12 in their account to take their girlfriend out for pizza on a Friday night in, in, in February in their off season. Never believed that. I know a lot yeah. of young men that they get so much money with their cost of living adjustments That's and right. their, their scholarship and what they get in terms of gear and how they're fed that – you know, in some unfortunate situations, I, I, I'm aware of players that send their money back home to help folks out back home because they're well taken care of in the college environment. And I, I think all this stuff was built to, you know, share the money or to spread the money of college football around. But it's really not doing that. What it's doing is private businesses are engaging with these athletes. And this is a different pile of cash than what these universities are making to begin with. <clears throat> and I think that's a, that's a problem for me because this was built and this was pedestaled as a way to empower to help to in, to enrich or you know give the starving poor college kid the ability to buy some brand new jordans if he if he wanted those because he he worked so hard for them and that's what he's always wanted 
I don't really see that happening. I don't really see that as being necessary here. And, you know, probably, Brandon, if you want to think about a way to, you know, the genie's out of the bottle right here to use an overplay term, but I think probably the way this all should have made more sense is it should have went for players that are already established on campus after their first year of school. I think that's the way it was, it was supposed to make a lot of sense. It's a fascinating conversation, Jeff. We were going to talk about some of the guys that Georgia signed, but we'll have to do that again next week. I, I'm glad to get your thoughts and insight on this. And honestly, I'm not quite sure, sure I'm not quite so sure anybody knows where all of this is heading. But boy, what a uh, what a fascinating conversation there is happening around all of this right now. Great stuff, Jeff. I, I know you've got some uh, good stuff coming in the days ahead of DogNation.com on some of those guys that did sign with Georgia. Can't wait to read that and can't wait to talk to you back here again on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger again very soon as well. All right, guys. Quick tease. There's a Darius Smith story, yes. one of the ones I've been wanting to share for a long time. Going up on the site sometime this morning before the noon hour. So, hey, look out for it. And if you guys want to run through a wall about one of a new DSGB on his way to Georgia that's already signed to play for Georgia, you're going to get a kick out of that because I don't think folks really know what Georgia has right now in Darius Smith. I think it's really good stuff, Jeff. He's one of my favorite guys in this class, at least relative to the uh, attention that he's gotten. So I can't wait to read that from you, and we'll uh, talk to you again very soon, too. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Let me just say this really quickly, and then we'll kind of move off the NIL thing for a moment. Jeff brings up the point of what's going to happen when you offer the NIL payment to the kid, but he ends up not being a very good player, and about half these guys won't be. I mean, of the five-star variety, there there's about a 50% miss rate on that in, in in most situations. That's just kind of the way that kind of kind of the way that goes. So, you know, some of these guys won't end up maybe being worth, figuratively anyway, the the payment that was maybe you know given to them in some cases however i want you to consider the opposite part of this being true as well and i hope this part gets recorded i hope this part gets reported too that somebody's going to go somewhere for a sum of money and they're not going to get it <laughs> like that's going to happen at some point in time where you know if you look at not to get too complicated here in like the business part of this but like if you look at uh like the miami booster who was saying i'm gonna give this guy 40 grand this guy 36 grand this guy 50 grand whatever else my understanding is is he was doing that out of a new company new llc and i think a lot of these you know if these cash payments are 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 being made they're going to be made out of llc's that are set up you know limited liability corporations set up for the purpose of paying these players but listen LLCs fail all the time. I mean, one of the reasons why LLCs are established is to build a firewall around those funds and the personal holdings of the of the person that set up the LLC. So there's going to be all kinds of like business arrangements. It's one of the reasons why I have mocked the notion of you know so and so getting a million dollars when part of what he got was an equity stake in a Mickey Mouse corporation with a phony valuation. That that you know. A lot of this where it's like, hey, the promise of X hundreds of thousands of dollars. Everybody likes the idea of that. Big numbers just sound good in headlines. But some of these promises are just not going to occur. People throwing around these big ideas, these big, you know, monetary figures. And you know, if you're a young person, you don't really know what's what with stuff like that. It's just enticing to you. And then lo and behold, actually, you are playing well. You're doing your thing on the field. But the but the company that was established to pay you, it's not actually functioning quite as well. Cash flow is a little bit harder to manage than maybe they anticipated it being. And all of a sudden, where's my money? I, I was promised this and, and I'm not getting it. I hope that part gets reported on this, too, because in some cases that's going to happen that's just the way that business goes so uh we'll follow all of this as it unfolds by the way um 
Looking forward to being on the seas again very soon. Royal Caribbean cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And, you know, listen, uh, I, I just love the idea of having a great time on one of these Royal Caribbean cruise ships and getting off the ship and having a great time at the ports that these ships visit, whether it's Bahamas or all the islands around the Caribbean or how about Perfect Day Coco Cay? That's a private island. It's available only to those on a Royal Caribbean cruise. And man, oh man, it's unlike anything you've seen before. What an oasis that is. You got the thrill side with the water park, like right in the middle of the Bahamas, tallest water slide in North America, uh, largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas is, is, is there. You got the chill side too, private cabanas and you know really cool restaurants and chance just to kind of lounge and react. I'm actually going to be uh, react, relax. I mean to say, I'm actually going to be a perfect day. Coco cake coming up here in just a little bit. And I, my gosh, I'm just so ready for it. So, so ready for a vacation. So I know a lot of you are too. So let's make plans to do that here in 2022 with our friends at Royal Caribbean. And let me encourage you to use my friends at the cruise and vacation authority. When you do this, I was actually on the phone with David cruise and vacation authority the other day. I had a couple questions about a Royal Caribbean cruise. He had all the answers that I needed. It's just cool to talk to experts. I think experts in any field are kind of cool. And the cruise and vacation authority, Certainly, they know a lot about Royal Caribbean cruises. They're also UGA grads, which is kind of nice as well. So check them out online, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. Or give them a call, 770-952-8300. 770-952-8300. All right, I mentioned the Brian Harson situation off the top of the show. Let me just say one more thing about this, and then I'll put that to bed. And believe it or not, this is going to be actually like a semi-defense of Auburn. A lot of folks look at the Harson scenario and they say, oh my gosh, what is wrong with Auburn? More drama at Auburn. And admittedly, I probably did the same thing a moment ago. But I think the better question when something like this erupts, a guy like Harson essentially not even making it through one year on the job before he proves himself to be unqualified for the role. The bigger question than what is wrong with Auburn is, what is wrong with college football? Because Harson came from Boise State. Now, Boise State's a group of five job, but it's an upper group of five job. If that level of program isn't producing the kind of coach that can make it more than one year at a place like Auburn here in the SEC, then the divide between the haves of the SEC and the have-nots and all the rest of college football is actually way wider than we ever assumed it would be. Because when Harson was first hired, you could go on the internet and find no shortage of folks who saying, oh, I ain't no Boise State coach going to come in here and have any success in the SEC. And like the very button-up, erudite media, national media types would have said, oh, these SEC people, they are so self-absorbed. They think the only brand of football that's being played anywhere is being played here in the SEC. But for the knee-jerk reaction guy who would have taken one look at Harson and said a Boise coach is going to fail at Auburn, he actually would have turned out to be right on this. The, the same thing is true for Georgia in the Orange Bowl against Michigan. You know, Georgia fan on the internet, ah, oh, this Big Ten team can't stay with Georgia. You know, a lot of Big Ten-minded media folks would have rolled their eyes at that, but that knee-jerk reaction also turned out to be true as well, that I think when you see an SEC outsider get completely chewed up and spit out this quickly in the SEC, I just think it speaks to the, to the huge divide, the chasm that exists between this league and the rest of college football right now. That high group of five coach shouldn't be this unqualified to to have even forget success national signing day was wednesday they didn't sign a dude like 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 this is unmitigated disaster this is total failure this is this is complete and total uh you know imposter syndrome this is this is a guy um uh uh that's completely you know you know just doesn't belong as somebody said on twitter uh they actually ended the day with less players than they started with because 
because they had a wide receiver that transferred. And uh, Zach Calzada was on uh, Instagram complaining about that, as he should have. Um, it is a total mess. And the mess here is not necessarily Auburn's. The mess here is the rest of college football because so many other spots in this country just don't seem to be cultivating the kind of leaders that can actually survive the pressure cooker that is the SEC. Uh, by the way, another big piece of news. Let me tell you who the happiest guy in America is right now. Uh, Pete Golding, obviously arrested on suspicion of DUI. How happy is he right now that the Brian Harson thing is emerging, kind of taking him off the headlines for a bit? And I've gotten a few like golden shoe submissions on this. And um, uh, you see the message there from Pete Golding uh, apologizing for, for his actions here. Maybe I'm just soft, but I can't really make fun of, of this situation for, for a, a number of reasons here. But I guess it's fair to ask, and what we're talking about is Pete Golding, Alabama defense coordinator, arrested on a suspicion of DUI. If you're making almost a million dollars, like how are you not just taking Uber XL everywhere you go? Like That's like the one thing I'll never understand here. Like, you know, you've got all the money in the world. You know, spring for the Uber XL, man. Get the get the SUV and just chill and, and go wherever. It's like Tuscaloosa. It's as big as a you know postage stamp. Just walk, for goodness sakes. Although I guess if you read Malcolm Gladwell, uh, walking under that condition not safe very not necessarily safe either. But the point is, you got the money, pay for the rideshare service. I I, I I don't know. Like like I said, I, I probably uh you know too soft to make fun of this or whatever else. But uh that is out there. Golding arrested. He gives the apology, and so. For a guy that has not necessarily been on the right side of Alabama fans' favor for kind of a while because uh, they haven't exactly, you know, killed it on defense as of late. All of a sudden now, I got a little bit more of an embarrassing headline attached to his name. So we'll see if anything kind of changes with all of this and see how that plays out. We'll make that your SEC through. Cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. Let me also give a shout out to my friends at the Finish Long Drink. Of course, they always encourage drinking responsibly, safely, and that's what we'll be doing this weekend, hanging out at home and no football this weekend. I guess what will we be doing? I don't know. Just chilling and relax. Maybe watch a movie. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do something like that. But either way, uh, the finished long drink will definitely be a part of our plans. We're hanging out at home with family and friends. I hope you're doing the same kind of thing there. Go to thelongdrink.com. Find out more about all of this, whether it be the traditional, comes in a blue can. It's the gin kick, the grapefruit flavor that goes along with that. Long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. Long drink strong. Uh, long drink cranberry there as well the cranberry flavor i know a lot of folks really really love that four different varieties there's one that's perfect for you and if you want to try all four to figure out which one is the best for you if you go to the longdrink.com put in your zip code you can find out where you can actually pick up some long drink today and you can actually get the eight can variety pack that's two different cans of each of the four long drink varieties so make sure you try that at the longdrink.com for a lot more on that all right, so while we are not going to make fun of uh, Pete Goldie, we will make fun of Brian Harson a little bit more here. Uh, our buddy Mad Dog coming through on that. We gave him a golden shoe a little earlier this week. Uh, we'll give him another one. And, yes, I'll also admit something. I am very behind on some golden shoes. I've gotten some great ones as of late, uh, and I am very behind on some of those. I'm going to try to do a lot more golden shoes next week, including going back to last week. I had some great ones from the end of last week that we never even got on the screen. So, uh, admittedly, I'm a little behind on that. But uh, I do want to give Mad Dog a shout-out here for a moment. <laughs> First of all, Jaws, one of my favorite movies. And uh, Mike Mad Dog saying, I knew this conference would eat Harson alive. You got the... Sh- <laughs> 
you got the uh, shark from Jaws just chomping down on uh, Brian Harson. That's about the way it seems to be going right now, uh, for sure, on that. So Mad Dog Golden Shoe for you. How about Gator Hater Updater? Speaking of the uh, embarrassment for Georgia rivals, it's now been 4,775 days since Florida's won a national championship. And Gator Hater Countdown back in Jacksonville, 267 days from now. Dogs taking care of business in the cocktail party. We will see you tomorrow. Dog, or I should say Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. We'll talk to you then. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We'll take a few of your comments here on the website, dognation.com, from Twitter at dognationdaily, and then let you get on with your weekend here. Of course, check out R.S. Andrews. If your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. Just find them online, as I said before, rsandrews.com. So we talked a good bit about Texas A&M today and yesterday. WRDogsFan88 at the website says, look, it's common sense. Unless there's some drastic change within a team, they don't just magically become the best of all time by largely staying the same as they have been. Ole Miss, when they came from nowhere to pull off that crazy recruiting class, he's going back to 2013, the Atlanta Braves international signing class, etc., uh, I guess that's the thing that got Copalella in trouble, I guess. Also, the fact that Jimbo is so fiercely denying NIL having anything to do with the recruiting success, well, that just screams I'm going to go on a tirade, so hopefully no one brings this question up again. NIL dealings are legal. Why wouldn't you uh, take the opportunity to boast about how A&M offers a lot of NIL opportunities and to completely just ignore it eh, seems a little too fishy. I have zero doubts that A&M is paying its recruits to commit there. But they just hope for their own sake that they're doing it legally. But by the lack of insight from Jimbo and how defensive he got, I bet it's more pay to play than NIL. So I think there's a lot to unpack from that. And I think the one thing that we should probably assume moving forward is, is the NCAA has no desire to enforce any of this. The NCAA has just been beaten up so much, trounced in the Supreme Court, you know, going back a year ago or so. I don't think the NCAA feels like it has the political authority to enforce anything related to this. So whatever enforcement eventually happens related to name image likeness is going to happen either, you know, parallel to the NCAA below the NCAA. It's just going to be different from that. So, you know, this notion of one of these days, the NCAA may come calling on this. I just don't think that's going to happen for anybody. Take Tennessee, for instance, you know, thought to be on the way towards like a bowl ban or something like that. I think even that NCAA investigation is just going to kind of fizzle out because I believe all these investigations are going to fizzle out. And as far as NIL stuff being legal, I think the problem is, is that based on most state laws, that there is a very specific parameter for how NIL deals can occur. And like a lot of things in life, the actual way in which the you know, the law is interpreted may be different than it's slightly written. And you may see laws change to reflect the actual situation on the ground where at one point in time, lawmakers thought, because remember, politicians for the most part are just mirrors that reflect the mood of society. And I think lawmakers thought, ooh, we need to get an NIL law in place and we need to make sure that it's, you know, not pay for play because that's not what people want. But come to find out, maybe that is what people want, at least the majority of people one way or another. And so I think the reason why you see these outright denials from Fisher, aggressive as they are, is because if it is true that they said, hey, come to our school and we'll give you, you know, blah, 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 thousand dollars based on the letter of the laws, as I understand them, that would be illegal. Now, I don't think anyone's going to enforce those laws, uh, but but the law does reflect a different standard than that behavior. So. 
I think that's where a lot of this came in from Jimbo. Doggy writes in to say, of course, A&M is guaranteeing the NIL amounts and the players uh, uh, may not get. Look, A&M just got out probation for enticing recruits with Jimbo getting singled out for punishment because he was involved directly in the violation. Texas A&M football gets one year probation in NCAA. Jimbo Fisher gets six months show cause order. I, honestly, I can't even keep up with all of that of, of what's going on. Uh, Bethridge says, uh, like, I, I, I don't remember the NCAA stuff with a and I'm not saying it didn't happen. I probably did. I just am, I'm blanking on that right now. Bethridge writes in to say, you know how life works out. You better strike while the iron's hot because the opportunity may not be there tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, you kind of wonder if, if, if one of these days the, the conversation for the good or for the bad around all of this just kind of changes a bit. Um, I, I think that's probably f- fair to wonder about. Let me also mention this, something that came in on Twitter. I got some very nice messages, uh, Bradley Chambers uh, and others, about the piece that I wrote at the book, Top Dogs, for uh, our friends at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the epilogue, the, the final piece in the book, celebrating Georgia's national championship. And in my piece, I kind of tied it back to my own family story a bit and some of the family members like my own father, who obviously loved Georgia but couldn't be here to experience that. And I don't know, it seems to have resonated with some people. So I really appreciate uh, you saying nice things to me about that. And I'm certainly grateful for all of our memories collectively here for those of us that uh, gave the gift of being a Georgia fan to us as we celebrate that national championship. We certainly think a lot about uh, them. I know you feel the same way as I do on that. Hope you all have a great weekend. We'll see you back here next week for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger and our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. After that, we'll talk to you then, everybody.